Hi, welcome to my podcast. I'm Dr. Lauren Goodall. I'm a clinical psychologist, and this is Psychology in Short. Today's topic has come about due to, shall I say, this being such a frequent subject in therapy sessions. So I thought it was worthy of covering. Um, And I call it crushing heartbreak. In other words, how to avoid heartbreak. Now, obviously, we're not going to be able to avoid all heartbreak, but certainly there's a segment, a proportion of it that can be avoided. And so I'm going to make some distinctions uh, or help people basically make some distinctions to avoid some relationships that probably should not be pursued. All right, romantic love is really uh, constantly pushed in our face. And when something is constantly pushed in your face, say from movies, read books, music, you tend to absorb things that repeatedly get pressed into your face. And you start to get ideas about them based on all this different stuff that comes at you and how this should look and how that should look. And um, so a lot of it is confusing. And now you have to factor in your own personal dynamics into this equation. And, you know, does this happily ever after thing kind of, is this real or is this just made up Disney stuff? Uh, So anyway, I think the topic of avoiding heartbreak is really important. And I think it could save people a lot of time and a lot of aggravation. All right, so let's talk about two different types of relationships, okay? Uh, there is the love relationship, and then there, and, and a love relationship exists based on three factors. We're going to say respect, friendship, and loyalty. The friendship factor is a big, big factor in a love relationship, or at least it should be, okay? Uh, Data, you know, constantly looks at people who, um, you know, have been married for a long time or attribute uh, longevity to their marriage is about their ability to be friends, okay? Um, And with that concept is understanding that a lot of times we treat our friends better than we treat our partners, okay, over time. Um, We have more acceptance of ours in a friendship, generally speaking, um, sometimes than we do with our own partners. But anyway, friendship is is the, uh, the concept that there is a regard, there is a deep regard in, in a deep connection, okay, and, and, and that's a love relationship. Uh, the pieces that get confusing is when you have a love relationship and you have a lust relationship. We don't really talk about lust relationships too much. It's kind of like um, just just mostly by inference. But lust relationships and love relationships have a certain amount of overlap. They look similar, but yet they're different. Okay, and the faster that you are at recognizing the differences, uh, the better off you are because the lust relationships are the ones that you need to get away from. 
And in order to get away from something, you really have to kind of know what's involved in it. So the lust relationship is, say, it's got a huge amount of physical chemistry, okay, which is similar to the love relationship, which has attraction, right, and chemistry, assuming. But the lust relationship is going to have a lot of up and down, uh, a lot of pitching in one direction and lows of crashing. There's going to be a lot of fluctuation in that. And in a love relationship, you're not going to see that pitching. You're going to see more of a steady build. Okay. Um, when you think of, say, when you have met some close friends in your life, you tended to build that relationship in steps. Uh, but you had core pieces that were similar, so it wasn't hard to build. It had a natural flow to it. Lust relationships don't necessarily have that foundation, okay? Um, the friendship really isn't there. The connection is there that is assumed that the friendship is there, but not so much, okay? And what's definitely involved in lust relationships is that not only does it have kind of a push and a pull and an up, up and a down, where a love relationship is going to run more steady, okay? Lust relationships, people tend, one of the ways that I help people recognize this, if you're getting really wonky around this relationship, it's likely a lust relationship, okay? Because that's those are the ones that give you just peak intensity, peak interest, that doesn't mean they always carry solidly. Most of the time they don't. And one of the reasons for them not caring, uh, caring to full term, so to speak, or longer term or marriage or commitment factor is the loyalty issue. In a lust relationship, the loyalty is the thing that can fluctuate. Lust does not guarantee loyalty. If anything, it's almost prohibitive, Okay. Um, it's as good as the next best thing. So those are some differences between the two. Um, but as I said, the confusion comes because there's some similarities between uh, a love relationship and a lust relationship. There is going to be the attraction. There's going to be the romantic factor. And in both, you can actually have a significant amount of time. People have spent years in lust relationships, kind of confusing them for a love relationship. Um, and because there is a lot of overlap, but ultimately the lust relationship just won't come up with a loyalty factor, which is huge. And not necessarily a friendship factor, which is also huge. So how do you recognize this? You know, okay, so in order to recognize something, I guess the best example I can give you is like if you go to the doctor's office, they always want a history, right? They, they, they want to kind of see what you're set up for, um, what your DNA's <laughs> going to detonate with, um, you know, what's going to, you know, what's going to blow you up? What's your pre-existing condition? And obviously they do that for a reason, and it's a smart reason, okay, because if this stuff, you know, is anywhere creeping around your DNA, it's likely, from your relatives, it's likely to happen to you, maybe, okay? But it's a pretty good maybe observation. 
uh, in the research. So that's why they do it. So they want to see about pre-existing conditions. And therefore, if they have to give you a med, they, they, they want to give you a med that's going to work and not kind of create a problem. So pre-existing conditions. So so many people go out and have relationships, okay, completely blind, okay? Like loose marbles, like beep marbles across a table okay they just slide everywhere looks good sounds good i guess i'll do it okay so this idea of pre-existing what i mean by that in relationships is you have your own pre-existing history of, of your own life your own development your own environment um and mostly your own wounds okay and these wounds are really important uh, because if you don't know what drives the wound, you may find yourself attracted to something that aggravates it. You think it's healing it, but it's actually aggravating it. All right. Um, when I say wounds, I'm talking about, say, say if you grew up in, in a household where there wasn't much attention given to you. Uh, more emotionally neglectful. You didn't have much of a voice, okay? So you develop more of an introverted personality. Um, so therefore, when you run into somebody who pays attention to you and validates you, that's going to be a big thing, okay? Because that's something that's been missing. And that's why I call it wounds, okay? Um, and so... When you have a wound operating in the back, in the background, like emotional neglect, it's going to cause you to pay attention to somebody who's paying attention to you just right out of the gate, right? Um, and obviously, just because they're paying attention to you or even attracted to you does not necessarily mean it's a great idea, okay? Um, if you grew up with a lack of financial resources um your wound is you know is like learning how to get by with less and struggling to get by with less so if somebody comes around who happens to have more financial resources that looks like something that's going to fix that wound that is going to get your attention okay if there is a parental absence this is kind of uh, replete in the literature with women who have fathers who are absent. Um, and basically the studies aren't really good um, because they don't have that strong male figure presence around them that um, they tend to go out with the wrong people. There, you know, there could be promiscuity, things like that. But basically because not being raised in a household where there is a, a, a strong male figure uh, can create some deficits. Uh, the same can be said about not having a strong female uh, presence. Okay, so that's, those are some examples of wounds that can cause, that can direct the compass. I always say whatever your wound is, is where your attraction is going to pull, okay? So you're going to notice those things. Somebody comes in, and that's why sometimes you see uh, younger women with older men because it sort of says, oh, there's a male presence, okay? For good or for bad, there's a male presence. 
Um, and so knowing what your wound is, is going to kind of direct your compass. So the best thing you can do in your life before you go dating is kind of understand where your wounding exists. Okay. Because if you don't get that, you're going to play some of this stuff out that you do not need to play out. Okay. Uh, you know, it's some lessons are better avoided, but you know, we generally like to bang our heads on the, on the ground ourselves, but if they can be avoided, these are some ways to do it. So I say, recognize your wounds. Okay. I gave you some examples. All right. So environmentally, psychologically, what did it look like for you? That's going to point the compass to somebody that you might be attracted to. Okay. Um, and I call another form of recognition is by dress code. It's always nice to have somebody that kind of compliments you um, in the sense of, oh, I like that dress or, or that top or whatever. But when somebody wants to do more of the, they kind of want you to dress like this and maybe there's a lot more expensive detail put into it and it's got to have this and and it's more of this or even less of this okay that is more about being a showpiece to somebody okay that's more like a trophy piece and that's saying something entirely different so this person wants you to look a certain way rather than validating you for you as i said a a general compliment is nice, but when it has more of a directive, that's kind of talking about something else. That kind of stinks of a lust relationship, okay? When it has to have more of this or less of this, start wondering, all right? Um, and how do some wounded relationships start? They start with an over-idealization, okay? Over-idealization is when you come to believe things that aren't necessarily true. You kind of create a storyline that you think might be true, and you're not doing it to be stupid. You're not doing it to be deceptive. It's more like your own psyche wants some healing in some area that has never sort of got completely healed and sort of makes up a, its own storyline like this person is like this we 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 put pieces together that we believe go together about the person that we're dating but that's not necessarily true but and we tend to give people the benefit of the doubt for whatever we don't know when we like them and and that's fine to a point but over idealization might be a hint that you're in more of a lustful relationship rather than a love relationship. A love relationship is okay building. It has steps and it moves. A lustful relationship is all over the board. It goes intimate. It pulls back to simple stuff. You don't hear from them. You don't know what to expect. The problem is that for some reason, in a lustful relationship, you say, oh, but the chemistry is really powerful. There's definitely the connection. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with that. But the more wow factor that you keep going on and on about, the more that this is going to be a more of an addictive type of relationship. And you're going to have a harder time 
what we call regulating yourself um, in a relationship like this. For instance, if you have to lose productivity in being in this relationship, like it just costs you a lot of emotional energy and, and you can't do or get to what you think you need to get to or should be getting to, that's kind of a sign that you're in a lustful relationship. It's just preoccupying too much of your time, too much of your energy. And if you have to call two or more people about different events with your partner over time, more likely you're in a lustful relationship rather than a love relationship. As I said, a love relationship is going to have a steadiness to it. It's not going to be like a high energy drink. It's going to have attraction. It's going to have movement, but it's not going to have chaos. And lustful relationships are like fireworks. They're just very intense and very chaotic. But the big piece, the big takeaway is that there's some ways of revealing that this is in place. If your wounds are getting activated in a big time way, likely you're in a lustful relationship. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is somebody who's paying attention to me. Yeah, this is somebody who's very attracted to me. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's a good relationship for you. Because say, if you were in a, raised in a background where there was less than emotion or emotional neglect, the last thing you really need is chaos, okay? You're gonna want something that has some basic reliability and stability. But this piece presents itself. So not every piece that presents itself to you is a great idea, okay? So the wounds tell the story. The dress code will give you a hint, okay? And doing your own work is really critical. Okay, because what you don't resolve on your own gets put on somebody else and another relationship. And actually, that's too much to ask. You know, if we were aware of our own deficits, our own strengths and our own deficits, we're better able to decide which relationships to play ball with and which ones to pass on. So... That's what I think is critical. You will not be able to avoid all heartbreak in your life. And this is not saying that that's even realistic. But you can avoid a good chunk of stuff that you don't need by going through this process and recognizing, you know, am I running steady or is this getting a little chaotic? Okay. And how long is this getting chaotic? Does it straighten itself out? You know? And is there a loyalty factor and a friendship factor that supersedes everything, okay? So those are some huge, huge pieces. Um, and like I said, the reason people come into treatment for this is because it's confusing. There's no judgment in any of it. But if you, you know, I sat down, I'm like, okay, what are some of the key pieces? What are the things that I've seen over the years? What's some relevant stuff that says, hey, this is a tip off. You know, you're dealing with more of a lust relationship. 
even if it goes long term. Yes, there are there are lust relationships that do go long term. I mean, there's people that have devoted years to the process of the though they're usually not happy in the end. They're just like, uh, because they got so confused because there was so much head games in the equation and likely a whole lot of wounds that got the opportunity to attach. All right. So that's basically what I wanted to cover in this. Is there anything else I want to cover? Um, if you think, I guess this is worth it. If you think that you are going into some really kind of thought obsessing about a person, just getting really, you know, just they're taking up a lot of time in your day, your thought process. Okay, some of that's okay. Too much of that isn't okay. All right. And so there are things that you can do. Uh, behavioral stuff is good in the sense that it's a set up a structure, stick to a structure, you know, and and distraction is a good thing. Distraction can be your friend. In other words, do things to kind of not make it a one uh, one person reference. In other words, that one person is not your entire world. You don't want that. that. That'll never be good. That's not good for anybody, okay? So from a behavioral perspective, that's something you can do. Um, and if, if, if it's just, you know, you're losing sleep, you can't function, this relationship's going up, it's coming down, it's, it's steeping, it's pitching, you know, and, and that can be where a medication is an option, Um because, um, you know, talking to your doctor about a med, uh, usually something that contains serotonin. I'm not a psychiatrist, got to say that. Um, but working along psychiatry for years, um, you pick up a few things. But serotonin is uh, usually some type of med that helps stopping obsessing. You know, like if serotonin, serotonin is a neurotransmitter in your brain that's more calming. It's more chill. Okay, so if you're really obsessing, your thoughts are just like, I can't get this out of my head, I can't get this out of my head, that's a good indicator that that's in place, so go talk to your doctor or psychiatrist about it, or psych nurse, um, they're, they're so, you know, familiar with this, they'll know exactly what to do, and even sometimes short-term med use will just kind of help a person recalibrate and, and then combine it with other therapy options, and then you can be pretty good to go. Um, so that's what I have to say about that. And before I close out, I'm going to talk about my book, Bipolar is Not an STD. Um, it's available on Amazon. If you like the way I talk or organize some of these topics, uh, you might be interested in my book. And I've spent over 20 years sitting with patients, um, talking about different issues from mood disorders to relationships and I also talk a little bit about personality disorders in the book and in the beginning I talk a little bit about my own personal misery before I started psychology so if you're interested in a little misery it covers a broad range so thank you for joining me and I look forward to having you on another cast <laughs>